The church has been incredibly different for the last six months. I'm now a televangelist, and you're all sitting on couches, watching on a screen like an audience. But maybe, just maybe, we've been acting like an audience for even longer than that. These seats all around me have been filled with people watching a service. But my heart for you as your pastor is I want you to participate. I want you to feel like an active member of the church that God has called you to be. And so this series is all about being more than an audience. You're not just spectators in the stands. You're players on the field. You're on the team. You're in the league. We aren't just sitting in seats. We're on the stage. And so when we come into this room or we tune in online, we are praising our God. We're realigning our hearts to be more like God's heart. We are finding our community and then we receive our marching orders to go out into the world. You see this room, this is our locker room. The game is played out there and your name is in the starting lineup. And so in this series, we'll look at what the basic practices of what it means to be the church and to live that out in worship, in generosity, in spiritual friendship and community, serving those in need and sharing the gospel both locally and around the world. So let's get off the couch and get in the game. And let's allow this series to be our Couch to 5K program for living out the purposes of what it means to be the church, because we are more than an audience. And so this Sunday, as we start this series, this very first week, all about what it means to worship together as a body, I've invited a friend of mine, a friend of Calvary, someone who has led worship in all sorts of settings for decades, who has written worship songs, who has mentored worship leaders, who has pastored local churches, and is also the leader of the Seek Week prayer movement that we've been a part of. And so let's welcome Todd Proctor as he shares with us from God's word about courageous worship. The church. Good morning. It is such a gift to be here uh, with you, even across many, many devices and settings. Um, God loves to give surprise gifts. I've been around long enough to know that well. And I'll tell you one of the surprise gifts of this very challenging season that we've been in together has been the, the interdependence, the camaraderie amongst church leaders here in Orange County. And uh, you got a gl glimpse of that during Seek Week. Uh, that was a surprise gift to watch God bring over 150 churches together in prayerful dependence and expectation. But one of the gifts that is uniquely come through you has been uh, Eric. Uh, the friendship God has given me with him, the encouragement he has brought to my life, and the gift he is to not only leading and building this church, but his passion to help lead and shape and build the church in our county. And I'll tell you, this is not an easy season for pastors. I'm not going to lie. I know it's hard for everyone, but there's a unique challenge that those who are leading churches have been up against. In fact, I'll just go ahead and say, and I've been leading churches in some way for the last 20 plus years here in Orange County, this is the most challenging season I've ever had to lead through. 
And I'm hearing those uh, feelings echoed by so many leaders. In fact, I was down in San Diego just a couple days ago meeting with some church leaders down there. And, and one of my friends wasn't available because uh, he leads a, a great community called Maker's Church down there, but he's bivocational. He's also a firefighter. And so I was so grateful that because he couldn't meet, uh, he was actually fighting fire in some mountain range somewhere in sacrificially courageous ways. But I also found it kind of ironic that he had to move from fighting one set of fires to another, and that's how it's been. And that's been the challenge, I know, not just for church leaders, but for the church itself. And even as I'm speaking right now, we know that the building I'm in isn't the church. The church isn't a place we go. We know that the church is a people that we become, a people to belong to. And that reality has been tested in massive ways over these last months. Sort of like the earthquake that hit a few nights ago, which was kind of crazy, as, as it always is. Uh, there has been something shaken, and now there seem to be in places cracks emerging, bricks loosening, realities of brokenness and division being exposed in ways that I know I've never seen before, not just in our nation, but, but in the church. And today, I want to make a very simple case through a, a very ancient text and passage that in these current times of disorientation, even devastation, that it's our worship of God that can really carry the day. That it's our worship that can hold us, bind us together, and actually lead us forward. And I don't just mean the worship of our, our daily lives, our lived worship, which, by the way, is our most important worship. That's where it's put to the test. Everything that happens in these moments is validated by how we live out our worship. Paul writes about that in Romans, that in view of the greatness and goodness of God, we offer and keep offering worship on the daily altar of life. But today I, I want to talk about the, the actual gathered, collective, embodied, even across different rooms and devices right now, worship of the people of God. These times that throughout history have served to recalibrate the people of God to the goodness and greatness of God. And that's not the kind of worship that we were ever intended to engage in, as Eric already alluded to, as observers, as critics even. We are, as the series that we're beginning today says, we are so much more than an audience. Audiences are frustrating because they can be very fickle. They want to fast forward. They want to switch channels. They prioritize their preferences. We do. And, and we want to opt in or opt out based on circumstance and feelings. And so much of what we've experienced lately as church has been converted to, cornered into screens and moments that has produced an audience that's something much less than resilient and compelling. In fact, there's a recent Barna study uh, just from the last few months that is a bit alarming that says that even a third of people that were committed to local churches, not just to the church, but to their local churches have opted out. They've sort of decided to tune out 
in this disorienting season. And this isn't good, not just for our church stats, but for the quality of worship that we have to bring God together. God cares a lot about quality, quality of worship. He's going to get the quantity in the end. We see that in Revelation. Every tribe, every tongue, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, that will happen. Everybody will be all in at some point. But now we have this opportunity to bring quality. And God makes it very clear that he is due. In fact, worship means giving worth. He is worth bringing quality worship to. And his preferences, if he's the one that's in view as worthy, his preferences should win the day. He gets to choose what that looks like. And today I want to suggest that in these times, these challenging times, the kind of worship he's looking for is courageous worship. That's what we're going to call this talk today. Courageous worship. How God's people come together when the world is falling apart. And we're living in a fearful, discouraged world. We know that. We are that, many of us. And discouraged simply means emptied of courage, deprived of courage. But the world around us needs to see not just a church, but the church courageously standing, seeking, choosing, worshiping God together in the face of fears. So we're going to turn to the book of Ezra. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open those right now. And we're going to go to chapter 1. We're sort of going to skim through it. And as you're finding your, your way there, it may be helpful to know that J Jeremiah comes right before Ezra. That may be a bit more familiar to some, especially if you grew up in the church. In fact, there is one verse, I'm guessing, that some of you know right now because you have it on bumper stickers and coffee cups and some people have it knitted on things that hang on walls. It's Jeremiah 29, 11 that begins by saying, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And he goes on to say, they are good plans. Plans that give you a future and a hope. That is a powerful promise. That is a promise we need to lay hold of. But we need to recognize that promise had a context. Because when that promise was given by the prophet Jeremiah to the people of God, there was a waiting period assumed. 70 years of waiting for those that heard that promise for the first time. 70 years of quarantine, of forced isolation in a foreign land as captives. This is a promise spoken into captivity. And there must have been times that in the midst of seven decades, those people were asking questions that we're asking. Where is God in this? What is he up to? Does he still remember us? Does he even exist? Those might be questions you're carrying even this morning. But the time does come, that, that Kairos moment does come, the right time for that promise to be fulfilled. And in crazy ways, a foreign king who is perceived to be a god himself by his minions of followers is brought to this unthinkable acknowledgement of the true God, Yahweh, the true God. And he gets this crazy idea to build that God, the true God, a temple. And using that God's own people as the construction crew, he's going to finance the project and he sends a remnant of Israel, a remnant of God's people back to, the, to a disaster site. We won't get into it, but Jerusalem, the crown jewel of Israel's past is in utter ruins. It's ground zero and the rebuilding 
is to begin. So let's look first at this first point of courageous worship. That's what we're going for today. Or what are some marks, maybe even better said, postures of courageous worship? Well, the first one is courageous availability. Courageous availability. We we get this glimpse in in Ezra 1.5. It says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up, and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, the temple. In the ESV, it says, uh, those whose spirit God had stored. So those who had hearts that God could move, those who had spirits that God could stir. It's important to realize not everybody made the trip. I believe this call was for any of God's people in exile to come home, to take part in the work he was doing, but only some hearts were open. Only some spirits could be stirred. Only some had the courageous availability to show up. So point one, courageous worship begins with courageous availability. You know, it's been said by many people, most of life is just showing up. And in the case of Ezra, here are people who have been dislocated and disoriented for seven decades, they're showing up again to the city in ruins, countless unknowns. Many of you are navigating your own ruins right now. The ruins of finances, of careers put on hold, marriages on the line, best laid plans blown up. And let me stop to say, thank you. Thank you for showing up, even here right now. Thank you. I know for many of you who have been caught up in the chaos of these turbulent times, that in itself took courage just to put yourself in the position to begin this journey. And the good news is that showing up doesn't mean having to be cleaned up. That's God's work to do. The invitation, even this morning we sang a beautiful song, couldn't have picked a better one to, to usher in this call come to the altar, but we get to come as we are with regrets, with mistakes, with doubts, with questions, with anger, with frustration, with disorientation. Come as we are, but come. Come. The first step of courageous worship is simple, powerful availability. Showing up and leaning in when it's never been more tempting to tune out. We move on and see that The building does begin under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. And can I just pause and say this, a little pastoral aside, that's a cool name. And you know, they have all these cool websites that have all the the rising hot names. That's a name for somebody. I'm gonna prophetically declare there is a Zerubbabel to be born in this church family. Give it some thought. But Zerubbabel is one of the leaders, he and Joshua, that helped lead this building project. And where do they start? Do they start with the walls? No. That would make sense because you're going to realize they, they need protection from enemies, but that's Nehemiah's job to do. Do they start with houses or stores or the armory? No. Where they start is not even a temple, it's the altar itself. They first set the altar in place. And, and this is going to lead to our second point that, that the second posture of courageous worship is courageous dependency, this reliance on God. Ezra 3 verse 3 picks up the story. It says, despite their fear 
of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifices. So what's going on right here? Well, they are reinstituting a lost system of worship that involves sacrifice. That, you know, for a generation hasn't been possible, but was so central to who they were from Egypt on. That is the worship, the the quality that God instructed them to bring was not just songs, but sacrifice. And they're doing this despite the fear. That's the key thing, as you see in this verse, despite the fear of those around them. And there's fear on many fronts. We'll see this if we read it in Nehemiah, both from without and within. They are an opposed people. This is an opposed project. But they decide to prioritize their fear of God over their fear of anything or anyone else. They knew that his presence, his protection was what they needed most. And if there's one takeaway line you lay hold of today, I'd just say take this one. The presence of God is everything to the people of God. The presence of God has been, is, will be everything to the people of God. God's presence had led them out of Egypt, pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. It had filled the tabernacle and in mysterious ways, the Ark of the Covenant, we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, seen the power on display in that movie. But this is something that could turn the tide of massive battles. The presence of God filled the temple that Solomon built in such a way after countless sacrifices that the people had to leave because God was so tangibly present. And the presence of God had always been at the epicenter of their worship. A reliance on him to show up. A dependence on his presence to lead and make a way. And so generations later, once more, they're choosing to recalibrate to and welcome the presence of God among them and put their dependence, their dependency on him, not walls, not armies, not leaders, not human strength or strategy. Courageous worship requires courageous dependency. You know, I've seen this in powerful ways many, many times in London. I've had a lifelong fascination with London, but God really hooked me up. I I serve on the leadership team of Alpha USA now. I know you guys have run Alpha here as a church and I could talk a lot about that tool, but it was birthed out of London and out of a local church in London, but out of a season of huge dependency. See, decades ago, London was kind of a graveyard of churches. And really as a post-Christian culture, they got their way ahead of us. The question was no longer, where do you go to church? It was, why would you go to church? Why would you do that? And Holy Trinity Brompton was one of those churches in the middle of the city, beautiful building, fairly empty. But there was something that began around the hunger, a desperation for God to show up, a dependence on his presence, a longing. And and my friend Jeremy, who still to this day, he's been there in leadership for decades, leads the prayer ministries. He remembers seeing a headline in one of the local papers, which was basically an, an indictment of the doom of the church. The headline said something like, the church is on its needs with all these foreboding stats of churches being emptied out. The church is on its knees. 
But when Jeremy saw that headline, he realized what they think is the problem is actually the solution. The church needs to be on its knees. And they redoubled their efforts. They started prayer gatherings weekly, prayer times and services, and they just became a people captured by a dependence on God to do what was clearly beyond their efforts. In choosing dependency, we release our props, we we turn away from idols that have compelled and captured us. Even questions, important questions around vaccines and stock market and racial division, elections, these aren't unimportant, but they're not all important. Dependency on God says our first yes, the yes above all yeses is to God. And that our lives are designed to fail. Our church is designed to fail unless he shows up. That's what happened at Holy Trinity Brompton. And as they began to declare that kind of dependency, God began to show up. The Alpha Course was birthed out of that season. Millions of people around the world coming to know Jesus for the first time. Hundreds of churches being planted. But at the epicenter, courageous dependency on God to show up. And one of my favorite quotes from Oswald Chambers is this, complete weakness and dependence will always be the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest His power. Listen to that again, complete weakness and dependence will always be occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest His power. That is courageous dependence. Acknowledging dependence, reliance utterly on God and saying, Lord, my life, our church, our gathering is a welcome mat for the power and provision that can only come from your presence. And so we see availability, dependency, moving on. We see that many months later in this passage, a foundation is now being laid, not just for the altar, but for the temple itself. Ezra 3 starting in verse 10, has, I think, one of the coolest worship gatherings in the Bible. It says in verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord, of the house of the Lord was laid. And so this is the worship of of courageous expectancy. Through availability and dependency, they are brought to a place of fresh, courageous expectancy for the future. And can I just tell you, I love the word expectancy. It implies hope. It implies anticipation. It kind of feels like Christmas morning. Christmas morning is all about expectancy. And really, it's worship that looks back on the past. So that's what we hear is they're singing about God's faithfulness past. And it's not a new song. They've sung this song before many times. But they're being reminded of the past to fuel faith, to fuel expectancy for the future. These moments become altar building moments of remembrance of how and where God has been good. How has God been faithful in ways that stir up faith once again. Kind of like altars of stone that they would build. Those weren't intended for us to live at, for anyone to live at. They were 
like visual reminders, much like the songs we're going to sing later. They, they are stacked on each other to remind us that God is good and we can trust him to continue to be good in the midst of the unknowns. I know you've been studying Hebrews. And Hebrews, uh, in fact, Josh, I think, quoted from Hebrews 10, makes this compelling call to, to not give up. Don't give up meeting. Hold on to hope. Stir one another up. We get a sense of why these moments of worship are so important towards bringing expectancy so that we can stir each other to more expectancy, to more faith. It's kind of like the huddle. Again, we're not in the stands, we're on the field, but there's a huddle, and this is the huddle. This isn't the game. This is the huddle where we are beginning to fire each other up, encourage one another. And the worship of courageous expectancy allows us to, to do that, to be that to each other. Do you know that God wants to sow hope, not only into you this morning, but through you, into someone else that may be gathered right with you or somebody you'll meet soon after? That is his plan for these gatherings is that courageous expectancy be stirred in his people, through his people, for the sake of a bold, lived worship beyond these moments. And finally, we see the availability leads to dependency, reliance on God that leads to a fresh expectancy towards the future. And that leads to the last point, which is just unity, a courageous unity. And unity takes courage right now. There are so many dividing lines. We know them well. But we see as this service unfolds that there are some dividing lines even here. There's generational dividing lines. Ezra 3, uh, 12 through 13 says this, many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the, of the temple being laid. So there's singing, there's shouting, there's proclaiming, but there's weeping. Some are weeping aloud while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. I and mean, that's a beautiful chaos right there. And a strange convergence of weeping and joy. Why? Because you have a, an overlap of generations. Some there are old enough to remember the glory days. Probably not many. And I mean, they remember Solomon's temple. And they're looking at the foundation of this temple just the foundation, they're going, oh, wow, this is not going to be what it was. This is not going to be as big, as lavish. We don't have the budget. We don't have the construction team. And there is a lamenting that is a part, a critical part of the worship they bring. And that's where, what they're doing. They're bringing it with them into this moment. But there's a new generation that's never had a temple. They've never had an altar. And they're crying out for joy. We get to put out a welcome mat for the presence of God once more to be with the people of God. And both of these things converge as powerful, unified worship. That's the point. They are courageously standing and worshiping and facing the future together. This is courageous unity on display and it's needed like never before. And there's an opportunity uniquely for your church with years of God's stories behind you. I don't know them, but you do. Many of you watching right now, even this room I'm in holds so many 
highlight reels of what God did here and on this campus and in this city. But there's a new generation ready to take hold of a new future. And can you stay together in the lament, in the questions, in the expectation, in the joy? That's the question. This passage shows that unity doesn't mean uniformity. That's important. That you can bring different opinions and perspectives and political affiliations and emotions to these worship gatherings. It's all to be put on the altar. But those in this moment make the courageous choice to have a shared future. That's the worship that seals, binds greater togetherness. A.W. Tozer once had this amazing example where he talked about if there was a room, like I'm in a big room right now, that was filled with pianos, 100 pianos, the way to tune them to each other wouldn't be one by one. You wouldn't tune them to each other at all. What you do is tune them to perfect pitch, a tuning fork. And that's the invitation in these moments, not to try to be tuned to each other, that we together are tuned, recalibrated to the perfect pitch of the glory of God, the goodness of God, the presence of God. And in that we are brought into unity and into not uniformity as far as the same note, into a harmony that is all perfectly in tune. How beautiful is that? And that is the picture we see in Revelation, every tribe, every tongue in vibrant harmonies, perfect pitch, tuned to the greatness of the King. But that can't happen from the seat of the audience. It can't happen from the stands of the game. It has to happen on the field. In fact, you've probably seen, they have these kind of lame cutouts of people sitting in the stands. That's kind of what would become if we choose to sit there, innocuous, ineffective. But the invitation today is together to step into available, dependent, expectant worship together. Not just in this moment, but this moment will make the way for other moments. Why not begin now? And I'd love wherever you are right now to just consider an altar before you. There's always an altar before us, but there's something powerful knowing even in this moment, you as a church, we as a church are united across this county by an altar building moment where we're saying yes once again to God Despite the fear, we are the people whose hearts are being moved. We are the people whose spirits are being stirred. We are the people who are saying, yes, we're available. So the team's going to come up and lead us in a beautiful new hymn that just reminds us of perfect pitch, reminds us of how great this God is. But our part is to open our hands. I just encourage you for a minute, would you do that? Would you just open your hands? This has been a, an ancient, powerful, physical act because it really says two things at once. First of all, I release. That's what happens at altars. We release things to God. And maybe you need to consider what fears do you need to release? What biases? What props? What strings attached? What hopes? What dreams? Bring them all to the altar. 
But with open hands, then we come to the God that we can't outgive. And he says, if you make yourself available to me, I make my power, my presence available to you. And that's what he wants to do right here, right now this morning. And we say, yes, Lord. Your presence is everything to your people. Thank you that you are with us and for us and ready to work in us and bind us together like never before. Amen.